Hello and welcome to the Level Edit Podcast. Today I am your host, Glenn, or Can't Be Left Blank on Twitter. I am joined by my wonderful co-hosts. Hey, I'm Nida. I'm a game UXer. My Twitter handle is my name. And I am Dan. I am a game designer currently working as a solo developer. Uh, and my personal Twitter handle is at MobileTX. So today we're talking about NPCs in games. Um, so this can be anything from villagers, merchants, villains, uh, companions. And we're going to start off by talking about what a NPC is and what is the purpose of NPCs in games? What kind of experience do they actually provide for the player? I don't know if Dan, you want to start us off? Uh, yeah. So I think it's important to ask yourself what an NPC is for every time you're going to make one. Normally people don't need to ask themselves because it's something that they already know. They've thought, okay, I have this character, and we're going to make sure that this character's in there, etc. Sometimes it will just be something as simple as, you know, oh, well, we need somebody to give the player this quest, or um, we need someone to uh, be a shopkeeper because the player needs to buy items, and unless they're buying it from a vending machine, which is not a very personal process, um, they, we're going to have to have some sort of middleman. Again, maybe it's something that they should think about. Is a vending machine fine for a shop? Do you need to actually have some sort of shopkeeper there? But I guess the the purpose behind a lot of NPCs is to make the game more interesting. Um, life is shaped by who we know, and sort of characters that you find in games can really influence your playthrough. So... If you had the same adventure that you ran through solo, as opposed to having a, a, a companion by your side, it would be a very different experience. Um, there is, uh, I actually worked on a, a Lost in Space game, basically. And one of the feelings that we wanted the player to have when he, was, um, when he or she is playing was that they feel very alone. So there are no... There's, there are no people to interact with. It's just you and your ship, who is some like terrible AI that doesn't really have great company. <laughs> um, and it was yeah, it was just you and the soundtrack basically. It was meant to be a very lonely experience. Whereas you know, if there were NPCs abound, that would be a very different experience uh, because you'd sort of be interacting with people. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Um, I think, as you said, I think NPCs are primarily there to provide some kind of interaction, whether it's uh, challenging the player, um, providing obstacles, providing a source of information or quests. Once you go beyond that, there's also how you're building out the law of the world. You might have NPCs who you can influence their story, but not necessarily determine everything that they're going to do. I think it can help provide this kind of like second agency that is like the world's agency rather than the player's agency, as in the world has its own path it's going on, and the player has their own path that they're going on. And NPCs are kind of where those two meet or mingle, where like the player's own agency can have some kind of effect on the world's agency. So I think they, they're very important for like a thematic backdrop, as well as making the player feel like the world they're interacting with is organic and their interactions with people in it have some kind of meaning. I know in, in some of my favorite games, the Elder Scrolls series, it, it does always get to the point where I'm just killing people and the world starts to feel very isolating and lonely sometimes. Whereas in a lot of other games, the worlds constantly feel alive, 
always feels like there's new things to learn. And I think like NPCs can be an integral part of that. Yeah, I think I agree with you both. Like they have um, like a strong world building component to them, at least helping you understand what the game is about and what you're meant to do next. So to a degree, they can be like a guiding force. Um, and they do that through like meaningful interactions. Um, is a huge way of doing that, uh, and generally defining like the atmosphere, giving like a good first impression. Um, so I was reading uh, work by a psychologist. I think her name is Catherine Isvisto or Isvisto. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, but generally, she says NPCs play a huge part in world building, um, specifically through the first impression they give you about the game. And then there's di- there's different psychology behind it, but one of the examples is like how attractive the NPC looks, or generally how they look like, and that can indicate like is this a scary world? Is it a friendly world? You know, is it an interesting world uh, to live in? Um, because we learn a lot from like different cues we're given, and appearance can be one of them. Um, and we generally, specifically, she was saying like when there's attractive faces involved or faces in general, you can use that to infer like how you're meant to feel as well so there's a cognitive element to it but also like an emotional element that uh, npcs bring um but it's important to understand like you know they're not just a device they're a huge part of your experience as well and it's an interaction you develop as you go along yeah i, I really like the idea that they're there to kind of teach the player something whether or not that's um something about the situation that the world uh, you know, you might have good people doing some dubious things in times of dire straits, um, or just, you know, literal lessons like how to operate in the rules of the game, which might be different to the rules of real life. So when thinking about NPCs, how much detail do you think should go into creating the NPCs? Um, you know, kind of assets or voice acting, because I know Normally developing NPCs can take a lot of time, especially if you do want to give them a lot of nuance or you don't want them to be integral to the player's main storyline. Um, how much detail do you think, or how do you think devs should go about adding more detail into existing NPCs? When I, the writer that I'm currently working with on Anachronist, she always talks about the iceberg effect, where the iceberg itself is huge, but you only really see the tip of the iceberg. So a lot of that is the same with NPCs. You might have to flesh out their backstory, you know, uh, who are their parents? How did they come to this world? Uh, Did they come here of their own accord? How long have they been living here? Do they get along with their neighbors? Do they have rivals? You know, are there love interests? These are tons of things that you can think about for your characters to try and make them a little bit more uh, related to the world that you've created, and this is what I was. This is what I meant by saying makes the world more real. It's not just his character A, character B, character C. They've lived next to each other for twenty years, but they've obviously never talked to each other. They never talk about each other, etc. It just doesn't seem very realistic. So, if you can create some sort of connections between the characters, it just makes the world more interesting, and it kind of makes you want to know their stories as well you know it could be as simple as character a walks out of his house character b gives him a scowl ugh, and then goes back inside and you're like well why did he do that obviously he doesn't like character a does character a like him back does character a know there's so loads of questions that the player begins to ask themselves just about one tiny interaction 
and if your player is asking themselves questions then it means that their you know their curiosity is peaked and as Nida was saying, if this is the beginning of the game, you want to be hooking people's interests and making them invested in the story and want to find out what happens next or what their backstories are. So I think by having all the work done with this huge iceberg, um, as I referred to it, it means that you actually have more opportunities to create these tiny links that players, you know, players may not even notice but that's the beauty of it you know it's there for anybody who's looking for the detail and um it's also it might sometimes be up to the player to decide what they actually think the situation is maybe that scowl is never ever explained and you know the player just has to draw their own assumptions which is still fine because you know they're still thinking about it and that's that's the important thing really npcs only exist to serve the player really so as long as they serve their function, whatever that may be, if it's a bit of intrigue or mystery or it's a bit of conflict uh, or drama, these are all things that can draw a player in and entice them, really, to keep on playing and keep on finding out more about it. As for how detailed you should go, I think it depends how important the character is. So for the lead characters, the player itself, you know, whoever the avatar happens to be, say we're looking at like um, Captain she Commander Shepard, um, you'd want to know everything about that character. I don't know, actually. One sec. <laughs> I think that was a bad example. I'm not actually sure because these are characters that are not very... Aren't they just like you put yourself in the character? Yeah, yeah, they're quite generic. Yeah, that's the same as Link. Yeah, I think you're thinking of more like um, companions or like characters that are kind of like side characters to the main character so like in in halo it would be the marine chief yeah so again like with the leads you would need to know a lot about them with your side characters do you need to know absolutely everything about them do you know who their great granny was and where they used to live a hundred years ago probably not but it's up to the writers and the designers how much detail they want to go in with creating this backstory <clears throat> as soon as you have the dialogue and it seems fitting and it's sufficient, then I would say you're good to go. But if, if you have written something and you don't like it, it feels superficial, it feels kind of flat or boring or dull, uh, or it's not really delivering enough about the world building um, or the, the story of the game, then that's maybe when you want to look more deeply at that character, figure out like their motivations, their fears, uh, their desires, and then um, use that to create a bit of... A more compelling dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I think with regards to details, I think it comes down to, you know, what game are you making? What story do you want to tell? Who is this game for? Like, you know, is it people that are really interested in character development? Um, but I do agree, like, as a basis thing, like, if you can, and I'm talking about, like, narrative gaming, so I think, you know, there needs to be some depth at least. One of the things they were saying that's really important when you're designing social interactions for NPCs is how agreeable they are. So are they quite nice or not? Are they quite receptive to you? But also on top, are they what type of dominance are they uh, displaying in the situations that is like, you know, are they kind of like a king or are they like a pet or a, you know, like a commoner in a fantasy game or whatever. Um, and that helps build the character design and your interaction as a player with the character. Um, because they can display those two different traits through like their face, their body, what voices they use. So if they're quite loud, you're probably like, okay, this is someone with authority, for example. 
you know, are they taking up quite a bit of physical space? That's another example as well. Um, so I do think there is some detail needed, but the amount of depth you require varies between the start of game and what genre you're doing it for. Because I think like narrative and RPG styles, you'll probably have way more compared to like a mobile casual free-to-play game, for example. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. The genre is heavily dependent on how much work you need to put into your characters. Mm. Um, and also maybe how many characters you have, you know. If it's just one character within your game, then maybe give them a lot of work. Uh, if we look at like Portal, GLaDOS, that is pretty much the only NPC within the game. Um, but she is a really interesting character and one of the most loved characters in gaming, I think. So, you know, you don't need to have a huge breadth of NPCs either. Even just the one could do the job as long as you put the work in. Yeah, I think uh, one of the probably most important things with characters is to minimize your workload. I like the idea of, um, like you said, with the iceberg, where in my mind the, the kind of tip is the most important part, and it's essentially where your characters have to give off their elevator pitch for who they are and why the hell they're interacting with you to some degree. And this is kind of like where their base personality traits would be exaggerated. And then you'd have layers underneath that that you'd devote to characters that are going to be around the player more or that might need more depth. Um, like you meet, might meet somebody on the road who's just there to give you a message before they pass away. Maybe they're heavily injured, but maybe they're still trying to stand, they're trying to point their sword at you, but the sword's shaking. Um, they have very like stalwart speech, but they keep having to pause because they're dealing with injuries or something. And that would be the kind of elevator pitch. Um, whereas if you'd have another character like a shy character, she might run away the first time you see her, but as you know her over time, she'll get warmed up to you and start speaking, and the way she talks to you will change. So you have a lot more layers to, of interaction to have with that character. Um, I think one of the important things in reducing your workload is to try and tell as much as you can through environmental storytelling, and not to rely too heavily on text, um, just because I think naturally we get a lot more in video games unless you have like a lot of voice acting because especially with text if you can't tell the tone and you can't tell the tone within like the first five seconds then you might lose the player's understanding of what that character is trying to convey whereas with like body language or how the characters are expressing themselves in the world it might set the tone for whatever conversation might happen next yeah, a picture tells a thousand words. And I also think there can be a little bit more ambiguity in sort of images as well. They're like um, a blood stain on the floor. It's, it says a lot, even without having to be very big or intrusive. Um, you know, I, and this is what I mean about mystery as well. Like, why is there blood on the floor? I don't know. Yeah. I better keep playing to find out. I think that is kind of a trope at this current point in time. Uh, I think it does get overused, especially because when sometimes a player will walk into this dungeon and there's like 400 people's worth of blood all over the floor and you're like, who's, who's been leaking? I would say Skeletons is like yeah. the biggest defender, definitely. Um, yeah, I know it's probably not a great example, but then maybe it no, is I, I... absolutely everywhere. I think it. I think it's a, a good example, but when you're using it, you have to be careful about what you're implying, 
especially with the amount of blood and where the blood is because a lot of games might have like a, a, a blood trail leading throughout the entire castle intended to show the player where they're meant to go next to find the culprits essentially but it also begs the question like why did they drag this person like yeah. 200 meters who has that much blood and climbed like ladders and things to yeah and who has that much blood you know and then maybe you find them alive and healthy at the end of it and you're really confused like did you not just lose 20 kilograms of blood so yeah i think that the, it, there's some great ways of telling stories like that but you have to be careful about what you're telling definitely and again i think you know imagine it you know explore you know if you're saying okay then they dragged this person all the way here like you said Will they even still be alive? Was there a struggle? Was there no struggle? Did they pretend to be dead for a bit? I don't know. Things that you should probably be asking yourself. Um, I'm not again. I'm not against the idea of a blood trail leading to to where you need to go. I think visual cues like that can be pretty important as well. But maybe think from a story perspective. Okay, why is that there? And is that reasonable to assume? Not that everything in gaming also has to be super realistic, but you know, maybe at least give it some thought. So what, what do you people think about um, how can you bring certain types of NPCs to life, whether it's companions, um, villains, or kind of background characters? I was reading about the companions that people hate the most. <laughs> <laughs> and it tends to be ones that are very annoying, very repetitive, overly chatty, and um, also terrible at defending themselves. <laughs> Um, in in terms of companions there is also the infamous escort quest which is sort of hated throughout gaming where you have to herd some pathetic AI across the map without them dying and they do pretty much everything in their power to kill themselves basically <laughs> they're slow, they don't keep up they have to wait a certain distance to catch up to you. They just end up walking straight into the enemies. It's not a good time for the most part. Um, and I think people sort of hate those quests because they're so unpredictable. On the opposite um, side of that coin, we have the NPCs that actually are helpful. Um, a lot of people have a lot of respect for Ellie from The Last of Us. Um, when you're fighting as Joel and she's helping out, she's actually pretty decent, you know? She can fend them off herself. She's actually taking out enemies by herself. So when you have NPCs like that, um, I think that can definitely be beneficial. And it's kind of the player, they earn their respect. Sorry. Um, the player begins to respect that character a bit more because they can hold their own and they are skillful and they are actually helpful. So they're sort of more likely to actually like that character. It's like having a good teammate, you know? You like your mm. good teammates because they're good. You hate your teammates, they're feeding because they're annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of the same idea of NPCs. Obviously, if you can develop some sort of relationship where the player is already vested in the character. I mean, if we look at, say, Zelda at the end of Ocarina of Time, you have to escort her out of the tower. Um, the whole game is basically built up about... Um, collecting Zelda and saving her and rescuing her, whatever. So maybe at that point, there's a little bit more investment in, in actually, you know, escorting this character out. But a lot of the times it's, 
oh, by the way, here's a new character you've never met before. I know you don't know them. They're probably a child. They probably can't defend themselves. And you're probably going to have to repeat this mission about 10 times. <laughs> it's some character you really couldn't care less about. You've literally only just met them. And what, I mean, what other adjective could you use except annoying, really, in that scenario? So, yeah, that's sort of what I've read about people's feelings on companions. Yeah, so first impressions are the uh, the most important thing. Yeah, I think especially when you are creating these relationships, you know, you need to make them believable or at least provide enough information where the player's own imagination can play a role and kind of fill in the gaps. Um, so I was reading up on, like, in human-computer interaction literature and general AI literature, you have this thing where, like, people assign like human traits to like robots or computers and stuff so like if a robot says thank you you're like oh it's being nice to me but no it's just the code or the way it's designed um and you can kind of do that with your npcs as well right where they can say certain phrases and then it makes the player respond in a certain way um or if you give the npc a certain type of personality people will assume the npc will respond in a certain way um, so in psychology, you have like the big five personality traits, um, which are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Um, and that has formed like the basis of a lot of personality theory right now. Um, and it's used in a lot of game design in terms of how do you create your characters and also how do you understand your plays as well. So that's an interesting thing to read up on. Um, and I think that's an important point with regards to believability. Um, so even if your NPC isn't realistic, it's important to make it believable in the context of the games that you've designed. Um, and that's especially important in like fantasy games because you know stuff like orcs and dragons aren't real, but they make they might make sense in the context of that game, for example. It's important not to mix this up with realism um, because believability and realism would be two different things when you're creating an NPC. Um, so a realistic NPC, like for example, if you're making a human one, uh, you want to make sure it's like culturally appropriate, for example, and kind of using the social norms that you would see in real life. So I was reading how like Final Fantasy has certain body language in the NPCs and some characters where, you know, they're bowing and doing things like that, which you see in Japanese cultures. And that's a common communication style or communication method there, which we might not see here. So it's kind of taken into account those types of nuances um, and that type of depth in character. Um, and that just comes back to my main point of like, when you're designing a good NPC, you make sure to read up on like psychology of social interactions and general character design as well, because that can guide your user experience for the better uh, and make the experience way more like, I guess I hate using the word immersive because, you know, in game design, that doesn't really, really mean anything now. Um, it's used interchangeably with so many other words. It does help you stay engrossed in the story quite a lot if you understand how your player will respond to certain types of behaviour based around psychology. Yeah, I definitely think that probably the most important thing to get right is your A, initial impressions, but B, the kind of main points of the characters that you want to get across. So it could be where they're from, it could be a cultural thing, or it could be their main personality traits and how they act, interact with the world. Um, I was just thinking of it, and probably the example that everyone would know maybe would be like The Simpsons. Because you can kind of pick any character in that show, and you could probably tell me like three things about their personality, 
or the way they interact with others um, that kind of defines that character in the show. Yes, I guess some like uniqueness, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you have to go so far as designing every character to be unique, but I think that mm -hmm. those personality traits can then go on to have unique interactions. Like, other characters in the show are as brash as Bart, but the way he interacts with others with that brashness is very different to some of the other kids at the school, um, or even Homer, kind of thing. So it can be a blend of the personality traits, but it could also be the way in which they use those traits to interact with others. Um, I think for all characters, it's very important to be aware that your player in the game has a kind of field of vision. So you might have like characters talking in the background about important events or things, and that might not necessarily be noticed. So I think if there's something that you really want a player to know about a certain character, you have to be certain that it's happening within their field of view, and you're not trying to have too many things go on at once. Um, um, the only other thing is maybe with uh, villains, especially. I think that typically meeting the villain is less important than the background work that happens mm -hmm. beforehand. Um, some of the... Uh, probably one of the best villain interactions I remember is in Final Fantasy V, where you've heard word that this town is attacked, and you start essentially by going through the town, um, walking past all the dead bodies of the town's guard and the townsmen and women. And one of your companions is from the town, she's very obviously upset about this incident, she talks multiple times as you go through, the music's very somber, it's raining, downcast, and then you meet the villain and you absolutely get floored by them. But if you'd have just entered the town and immediately had that encounter, I don't think it would have had the same effect of creating this image in your mind of what that villain is, is doing. Like, you, you set almost certain expectations that they're kind of monstrous, and then you meet them, and they're kind of like just noble, and almost like they're swatting flies. There's mm -hmm. a kind of disregard for everything you saw before, and the emotions of your party member. So I think, yeah, making sure you get the uh, I guess we called it earlier the tip of the iceberg, correct? Making sure that if you're wanting a character to have a big emotional impact, that you're having some kind of background work leading up to an event, and making sure that you know where people are going to be in your player's field of view. Um, sometimes that's what cutscenes are great for, because you always know where characters are going to be. But if you've got an open world game, that might be harder. Yeah, that reminds me of... Um... So there's a game designer called Tanya Short, uh, and she wrote a little bit on Reddit about how... I can't remember if it was a game she was working on or not one she saw, but she was like, there was an NPC in a game that she saw or worked on um, who had this really in-depth personality. But the issue was when, as a player, you went and interacted with them, you know, it seemed random, their different behaviours. Um and your per peripheral vision, you'd see them doing like stuff that just seemed really out of sync. But that NPC was swallowing a routine because of their personality, but you would never know. Hmm. Um, because it doesn't matter, which is kind of harsh, but it really doesn't matter in the sense that if it doesn't add to the story or help the player understand the story, because otherwise it would just get too confusing for them. Yeah. Um, so I think that links into just make sure your character is adaptable to the situations that they're being put in your NPC when I'm talking about character and make sure they're really interesting as well. I think 
you know, we're talking about all these fine details, but that's what it comes down to is, you know, are they fun to even talk to in the first place? Or are they going to make me experience certain things or progress my story, right? Because they don't always have to make you happy, for example, but they're there to help you through. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a play, like the at certain points in time, certain NPCs will be on stage in front of your player or players, and they have a very limited time to make an impression. So being aware of who's on stage, is, like I, th- I think this is more of an open world game problem, because like Skyrim, your companions, if you're doing random dialogue to reduce the kind of workload, you might end up with one person's experiences, oh, this you know, character always repeats the same phrases or walks into traps. The another player's experience might be they don't talk at all and they're fine. <laughs> so yeah, being aware of, especially if they're companions, um, what they're doing when they're in the player's field of view. Yeah, especially I think like you're saying in the open world context, they're really nice because if you're kind of going off trail or something, they can kind of bring you back as well and just say it's the companion taking mm. you somewhere type of thing. Okay, so what common mistakes do you think people make when you're designing NPCs? Um, so for myself, from a sort of villain point of view, uh, I think it's quite important that you give them some justification in the world. So basically, it's not very interesting to have a villain that's like, oh, I want to do bad things, just because, that's it. No other reason, really. That's not really great character design, it's not very interesting. So I think if you're going to have a bad guy, then you should give them a reason for it. You know, do they have some tragic backstory of their own or um, a terrible upbringing or do they have a particular vendetta against a certain person? Is it a revenge story, etc.? cetera? Um, so it's not just, you know, oh, I want to take over the world. That's pretty much it. That's not very original. It's not very interesting. I don't think that's good character design. So I think like, give your villains some justification to it. And even, like, humanize them a little bit, you know? It doesn't have to... I know there's the the whole trope of I'm going to tell you my master plan before I walk away so you can stop me. Um, But, you know, if there is a little bit of interaction with your villain, which, to be honest, at some point there is going to be, um, it might be nice to reveal a little bit of backstory or maybe, like we talked about, environmental factors. Maybe you end up going to the villain's house or where they live or their town and you end up learning more about the villain themselves. So it adds a little bit more depth to the character, so they're not so one-dimensional, so black and white. Um, yeah, I think that's quite interesting. In um, in League of Legends, there, there's two characters, Morgana and Kale, who I believe are sisters, and one of them is like evil, dark purple mage, and the other one is like a righteous angel, basically. And... Um, Morgana is fighting Kale because Kale is kind of like she's meant to represent everything that's righteous and just in the world, but she does it in such a way that it's kind of like Third Reich Hitler style. You know, if you don't fit these criteria, that's it, you're out, you're gone. And I think Morgana belongs to that criteria. So that's why they're sort of having, that's why they're fighting, you know, there's some sort of backstory to it. Um, it's not just, I'm good, you're bad, that's it. Like, there's some shades of bad within Kale and some shades of good within Morgana, and it's it's the grey. The grey is the interesting part, you know, not the black and the white. 
So I think, yeah, definitely give some thought to your villain's motivations and sort of try to humanize them a little bit. And that tends to have a lot of payoff, I think. It doesn't have to be turns. You still want to hate the character, really. Um, but... Yeah, just some sort of explanation, at least, is the least that the player is owed, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, and I think at the end, the general payoff is a lot better if you can understand the person's viewpoint, but you're either proving that it's wrong or you're deciding to put your foot down when you're disagreeing with them. Um, especially with, like, you might have a noble villain who's gone too far kind of thing. And even the per- people around him are starting to be like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I did not sign up for this. much more interesting villains. Okay, so um, what common mistakes do you think when people make when designing NPCs? I know we've kind of talked about it a lot, whether or not it's the uh, bland villains or the uh, annoying companions. So in terms of mistakes that people make, and I have definitely been guilty of these myself over the time, um, I think you can definitely write too much dialogue. I'm not going to say less is more or anything cliche about that, but like, there comes a time when you have to tell yourself, okay, this is too long, this story is too long, this intro is too long. I know we talked about onboarding process with tutorials last time. Often within your tutorial, what you'll want to include some sort of setting as to where where is the world, why are you in the world, what is your mission within the world, who are your friends, who are your enemies, etc. You'll sort of want to establish those kind of relationships early on in the story. So... But, you know, there's also the other end of the story where, sorry, the other end of the other side of the coin where you have to actually think, okay, the player has to play this game and you've got to do the tutorial and now you're ramming an entire book's worth of words down their throats that I don't want to read this. I'm playing a game. I'm here to play the game. So you have to be very careful about how long you choose to have your intros, um, how... Uh, once players have got a little bit more invested in the story and they're spending some time listening to dialogue and figuring out, okay, these are my friends, this is the world, this world is quite interesting, I'll have a listen to the stories, I'll read maybe some of the um, the books that are listed about usually as like extra pieces of lore. If that's the point that they're at during the mid-game, then that's great, but you need to hook them in in the first place and make sure that they actually play until that point. So you have to be very careful about front-loading cutscenes as well and throwing in tons of NPCs that you need to know off the bat you know you might you might not remember a lot of these names if you're interested in too many characters right at the beginning so try and be very careful about how you intend to introduce your story elements how do you intend to introduce the villain how do you introduce your companions etc if you have any um and do not make the dialogue too long. <laughs> Try and cut it down as much as you can and say as much as you can in as few words as possible. So that would be my first point. And it's actually quite funny. I have a blog and one of the articles inside of it says uh, the, the name of the blog is I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> because so often in games, you're not there to listen to somebody drone on about their life story, you know. Oh, my dad has gone missing and he went to the caves. Can you please find him for me? It's like, oh, great, okay. I already know what you're going to say. So it's, it's kind of like a lot of the time you're going to make these NPCs and people aren't going to want to interact with them, especially if there's quite a lot of them. So you have to sort of account for those players and try to make your dialogue snappy so that 
you know people aren't spending too much time on the, um, the story side of things. I think another problem is having too many characters. Whenever I'm making characters, I try to make sure that they each serve a purpose, as we said in point one. And if someone else is already serving that purpose, then maybe you don't even need that character. You know, making an NPC is a lot of work. You know, you've got to create the model. Sometimes you've got to animate the model. Sometimes they actually end up speaking and you have to sync up their mouths with the actual words that are being spoken. And it can be a lot of work. It really depends on how much how sort of detailed the interactions are in terms of like graphics and there's also voice acting to consider as well um so too many characters is one of the biggest sins i think if you can do the same job with fewer characters then you absolutely should do it because you're just giving yourself more work and it's unnecessary it's the burden of knowledge on players having to remember all these characters whereas if one character could do the same job as four characters that you've made then just put it all as one character um and yeah, try to consider the purpose of every single character. If it doesn't serve a purpose, then maybe it shouldn't be there. And it doesn't have to be, it can be any sort of purpose. It could be something for world building. It could be something to progress the story. It could be, you know, even something as simple as like a merchant, like we discussed before. Try and make sure that your characters all have a purpose. Um, I think infinitely branching conversation paths can also be a real big faux pas. You do not want to have one conversation that can end up in like 20 different endings it's great to have a little bit of variety um and it's great for the player to feel like they're making meaningful choices as well but often you're having to design way too much content if you want to have 20 different endings that are actually impactful or meaningful um so i think that's something to think about if you're doing dialogue paths you know how many paths are you going to bring them down maybe think about narrowing rejoining paths so they end up going down the same route no matter what's been chosen there's a little bit of saltiness with players sometimes when they replay content just to find out if it was different and it ends up being it all ends up to the same scenario anyway but <laughs> um you know who who does sometimes people do it but realistically a lot of players are only going to play these sort of uh, rpg games one time through they'll choose that dialogue option and that'll be it and they may feel like they've had an impact on the world. And at the end of the day, that's probably the designers done their job. They want the player to feel like they are making an impact in this world, irrespective of if they are, you know, that doesn't actually matter. All that matters is how the player feels about the content. Yeah, that's an interesting point you're making about like condensing the amount of content or at least the amount of NPCs conveying the same point or something similar. Not to say like there can't be depth, I think there should be depth, but I think there's also a balance between depth and just player expectation and player attention, because um, you do get tired after a bit. So for example, I was reading up uh, on some work by a psychologist or a game designer, I can't remember exactly what she does. Uh, her name is her name is Catherine Isbister, or Isbister, sorry, I don't know if I pronounced that properly. Um, but she looks at how psychology interacts with character development. Um, and she was talking about how there's this concept in psychology where, in language psychology specifically, uh, where you can give something called paralinguistic cues when you're talking. Um, so these cues involve things like changing the quality of how you speak or stuttering or pauses between sentences or different phrases. Um, and even those pauses or that change in tone, for example, can give a completely different meaning to what they were saying. 
you know, it can change the whole context of the situation. And maybe if you enunciate a certain point, there's more significance to it. So even stuff like that, you don't need tons of text. It's just how do they speak? The NPC, for example, can give lots of information. Um, and that cuts down a lot of work for the narrators as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of A, cutting down how much text you're using or voice acting you're using, trying to show more things through environment or through characters' actions, um, and also kind of highlighting what it is you need to know about that character straight away, and then allowing for more detailed layers to come through if the character is actually important to the player's story or is a character that's actually going to be interacted with. One of the characters I've designed that I really like is uh, there's a little girl in the village and she the first interaction you have with her is she runs up to you and tries to sell you stuff and it's basically like a bunch of junk like sticks and stones but in her imagination she's labeled it as all these like wonderful things you know like it's essentially like magical artifacts and things like that. And obviously, when you mouse over it, the flavor text, it actually tells you it's a magical artifact. But the, the subtext is kind of like, it kind of looks like a stick, though. But when you, if you get to know her more, you eventually find out that her mum works in the town. And she doesn't have a lot of time to play with her because she works this job. And she's a single mother. And the story that her mother told to this uh, girl is that her dad was this great merchant and he's got off to see the world. And obviously, you're not really sure if that's actually true or if it's just something she told her child to keep her happy essentially but this little girl has gone off and has decided that she's going to follow in her father's footsteps um and being left to her own imagination over time she's kind of developed a very quirky sense of humor and tries to peddle terrible things to basically everyone in the village so it's kind of the the first impression you get is one that packs on a nice punch but there's also more kind of story detail there um if you go looking for it but you could just go through the whole thing, you know, thinking that she's just a girl who is quirky and likes to sell garbage rebranded as mythical artifacts and stuff. Yeah, um, that's an interesting example, I think. That reminded me of a talk I was listening to before uh, by Meg Janus. She's a narrative writer, I think, uh, on games. Um, and she was giving a talk on JDC about character development, or NPC character development. And why it's so important. Um, and she was saying, you know, we, we've been talking about, you know, player agency and the um, NPC guiding you through the story. But she was talking about how sometimes some NPC stories aren't even about you or for you, the player. Mm. Um, so sometimes you can't help the NPC in the situation that you are in. Um, and that's a fun way of subverting the player expectations, you know, because games train you to often like fix things or mend yeah. things and hey you can't do that so she gave the example of a game she worked on called 80 days uh where one of the npcs is a aboriginal girl uh in australia and she's part of a tribe um, and she's written a letter to complain to the local newspaper about the colonialism that's going on uh but the local newspaper is owned by a white settler. So she knows that, you know, it might not be so smooth running. Uh, but you as a main character are a white male character. So this is an assumed thing where you might have more agency or more power in the situation. But what you find is this young girl does not trust you. 
because you have some similar traits to that guy who's higher up. Uh, which is sucky for you as a player because of like, well, you can technically give me this letter and I'll pass it on. Um, but these is different power dynamics and things going on that are just completely out of your control and can change your situation. Um, and she was talking about how like on forums people are discussing how sucky it is or how annoying it is that they can't help this girl. But a lot of people came to the conclusion that like, you know, you can't be the white knight in every situation. You don't have to do justice. You know, there's more to a story than fixing things or having a happy ending. Sometimes maybe part of the story is helping you learn something new or leave you with a certain feeling that might not be the most positive thing. So, yeah, I think sometimes some games don't explore that, which is kind of sad. Or maybe that's not the way they want to go, but I think that's a really interesting angle to explore, especially if you want to do something new and refreshing. You know, like Dan was saying, there's so many parts to the human condition. Hmm. So there's there's so much more we can explore than just happiness or sadness or something like that. But um, your story about that young merchant girl, it's like, well, yeah, maybe she's like that because of her personal experiences and we can't help fix that. Hmm. But maybe we can do something else with the situation as a player. Yeah, I was actually going to mention the same talk. Um... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which, no, it's, it's good. Like, uh... Yeah, I mean, in a lot of in a lot of games, we give the player all the agency in the world. Like they can do anything, they can solve any problem. And I think that it's still important for players to feel like they've been heard by the game or the world. But I don't necessarily feel it's important for their actions to make a like a life changing decisions on people's lives. I think. You know, there might be a revolution that's going to happen, and like you spend an entire arc trying to stop it, but you realize you can't. But, you know, if you've helped a lot of the people involved, maybe dealing with the aftermath, the way they'll treat you and the way the world will treat you will be very different depending on how you acted. And it's like you're, you're not changing the actual outcome of things, but you're changing the way people react to you, you're changing the way like certain minor stories play out. Because uh, I think it, 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 that comes through in real life as well. Like you can never stop something that's bigger than you, but you can change the people around you's perception of you, or their, you know, something in their environment. You might be able to have that with. Yeah, I think that's a common mistake. Some narrative games should be wary of when designing. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's a bit more interesting to deal with that fallout. You know, somebody maybe there's a situation where a character learns some horrible truth. And you're more dealing with how you react to that person kind of withdrawing into themselves compared to like actually fixing the problem. But obviously that depends on like a heavy setup because if you have a character that you don't care about, like you're just not going to see that. It has to be something that's... And I think a lot of times these, these kind of big playouts do happen just because it grabs the player's attention and forces mm-hmm. them to... You can make this big decision now, blah, 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 rather because... You can attempt to do the nuance, and maybe do it really well, but some people aren't paying enough attention, and they're not sure what things are happening. So you have to be very clear about how you're communicating these scenarios to the player, and, and where their choices are coming into play. Because I think maybe the problem with smaller choices is that people can't make the direct link between their actions and how the world is acting towards them. Um, whereas these big actions, it's really obvious. 
you know, it's the it's the good choice and the bad choice trope kind of thing. I think it's these are really interesting points that you're bringing up. That you know, maybe you aren't can't be the white knight. You can't necessarily help everybody in every situation. It does kind of subvert the trope that when you're given a quest, you can do that quest. You know, you can do that quest, and that's fine. That's great. That's dandy. I definitely think there's some merit to having players be able to complete quests you know i think i honestly think people are going to be quite disappointed if they get a ton of quests and it's like i can't actually do that i can't do that it seems kind of experimental in that regard not that i'm against that but i think it's just something to bear in mind that it probably won't be popular with every single player Hmm. but you know it's your game at the end of the day you decide what's important and what people are supposed to feel so if it is you know, it's supposed to be some sort of commentary on something specific that, you know, you aren't the main story, you aren't the main character of everybody else's story, then that's fine. And that's I think that's a very worthy idea to pursue, but it just be aware that it might not always be perceived in the greatest way. <laughs> yeah, I, I do what you mean, like it kinda of depends on the genre as well. Like for example, like Halo wouldn't be the same if you couldn't single handedly stop the Covenant invasion and the flood invasion and every other invasion known to man. Exactly. <laughs> um, so obviously, if your game is going for that, it's not a big of a deal. I guess it's more for open world games where there's a little bit of leeway to have more freedom in how much the players impacting stuff. Um, yeah, that could work, or just generally something more experimental in general. Um, the other thing I kind of picked out for things that I see, not necessarily a mistake, but going wrong is um, payoffs. So you might have a game where like a big bad event's happening, and so you do your best to prepare each like character beforehand to make sure that they're going to be alright. Um, or maybe it's like a another example I have is like a merchant's like, oh I'm really down on my luck, if I only had this thing I could start investing to build a business and things like that. And so you help them on this quest to like gain investments or gain things to sell, and then afterwards they're like, thanks, here's your reward. And then you just see them at the same spot in the same town, and there's no mention of that business they wanted to to build or whatever. So I think that, and this is not, this sometimes happens just because of time constraints, or the fact that people didn't realize what the player's intention was when going into the quest. Like, designers might just think, oh, well, we're going to have this quest to help this merchant. But the player's going in there to think, like, oh, this guy is, you know, he sounds like he wants to actually do things and make this business, and it would be cool. So I'll help you out just to see this thing get built. So kind of the perceived payoff, I think, sometimes gets a bit lost. And when the game ships or releases, you know, players do a bunch of these quests to help save their friends, and then it doesn't seem to have an impact, or they do a quest to help a merchant build a business, and then they don't build that business. And that's just something I, I see. A lot, but in very little measures. Yeah, definitely something to watch out for. I mean, obviously, there's not always going to be some immediate impact. Mm. You're not going to have a business set up, you know, half an hour after you have Yeah, yeah. But even <laughs> but, just having the person act differently or yeah, just some a sort few of lines of dialogue or... Exactly, some different repeat dialogue to say thank you. Yeah, or, but, or maybe they've got more stuff to sell on the cart and they're like, yeah, I'm doing really great now. I'm starting to think about, like, moving into a proper business, but for now I'm sticking with my stand i'm just you know i've changed my merchandise i'm up, up marketing yeah something like that definitely seems interesting and like you know useful to include 
make them the characters feel real, as it were. When you go and speak to an NPC, it might be interesting to think about, well, what have they been doing today? What did they do two hours ago? Um, and what is that person going to be doing after they speak to you? You know, this is kind of like what you were saying, you know, after you've finished that quest, well, maybe they ought to be thinking about um, packing up the rest of their goods, selling them off, you know, is he opening up some business? Does he need to finish off doing what he's doing? Does he need to prepare? Can you no longer buy from him? Because that's mm. it. Why does he need to sell things anymore? He's gone. Obviously, you have to think about problems with the fact that the shop has now, you know, grown legs and walked off. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, there's a sort of game design questions so it's not really it's something that the NPC when you're coming up with the NPC you'll have to think about you know are we allowed to just let the yeah. character walk off into the sunset is that something that's going to be feasible does that affect the gameplay experience um, but if it is then you know sure why not where is he going he probably doesn't need to do this anymore because he's got the startup that he needs he's got the capital that he needs why does he need to sell anymore so that's something that could be interesting and again um, the four where was he before all of this, you know? Has he had a crappy night's sleep because he can't sleep because he's really stressed about having enough money to cover the rent? So he's not slept, so he looks really tired, and he's probably pretty snappy. And you're like, why is this shopkeeper snappy with me? I haven't done anything to hurt him. But these are really good tools for sort of thinking about the background of your character and how they might be feeling in certain scenarios. If you are, you know, if you have some dialogue and you're like, oh, this is kind of flat, then maybe think about, you know, what did they do before? What did they do after? And that's called the through line of action. Um, there's also something called super objectives, which are basically what does your character want in life? You know, what are their desires? What are their goals? What are their motivations? This is something that we were talking about that might be applicable to villains, you know? What is it that they actually want? Do they want their foe to die? Do they want everybody in the world to die? Do they want to take over a specific city? Is it revenge, etc.? Um, something we're thinking about, you know, what, what actually is the merchant's super objective? Does he want to be rich? Does he want to be happy? Does he want to have enough money to feed his family? Does he want to move to Spain? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like ask yourself, why is he actually doing this stuff? Uh, does he hate his job? Does he hate being a merchant? Again, these are like questions you ask yourself that can help uncover bits of story that you might not have really thought about or different aspects of the character. Um, another one is the magic if, which sounds <laughs> sounds really silly. But with the magic if, you just ask yourself, well, what would I do if that was me? You know, if I was in a business that I hated, what would I be doing to stop doing it? You know, if, if this merchant doesn't want to be selling goods anymore and he wants to work in this business, how would I do that? If I was in that situation and I said, right, this is where I am, this is where I want to be, what would I think for me to do? You know, I think it's something that's worth considering as a perspective. Obviously, you are not that same character so they might have very different ways of thinking to you they might have very different methods of working with you than you um all sorts of things to consider but it can be definitely if you feel like your character is not very realistic believable then maybe just think well what would you do in that situation and think well would that do the job is that suitable might be a bit tame if we're, if we're a bit on the tame side but again they're just suggestions and if it is a bit boring or bland then you know, by all means, hype it up. Maybe the world situation means that you can't just 
you know, getting a job in accounting, leave a, lead a quiet life until retirement, like that's probably not an option. Um, so that's just something else to think about as well. Also, the final point is personality pyramids. When you're making a character, um, try and pick three very distinct traits that are also kind of clashing with each other, and then use those traits to inform how your character how your character interacts with people basically um the example that i tried to put together for this one was sonic i'm not saying that sonic is an extremely deep and interesting character (laughs) but um i put that he's like a freedom fighter and he generally wants to do good things and he wants to stop bad things from happening but then he's also quite cool and calm and collected and easygoing and he doesn't he's already worked up by a lot of things but then on the other side, I put that he's quite short-tempered and very impatient, partially because he goes very fast. So <laughs> those three things don't really mesh together. Easygoing and impatient are kind of like the opposite, really. But if you have three distinct traits to work from, it can give you a more multifaceted character that isn't so one-dimensional. Uh, it's easy to say, okay, this is a miserable character. Here you go. Everything he replies to, he's annoyed or, you know, upset or something. But he might actually have a really wicked sense of humor or, you know, he just loves a bit of schadenfreude. So if someone falls over, he's just like laughing hysterically. And you're like, why is he laughing? He's meant to be miserable. But, you know, that's just part of who he is. So those are things for like, those are tools for character building if you are looking at NPCs. Because, you know, you read the the link to plays as well. A lot of this is like plays, you know, these are fictional characters that you are trying to flesh out. Uh, It's part of world building. So I do think these are really translatable to the world of gaming. And I think they're important. You know, NPCs, like I said, they can really add so much flavor to a game. Um, So those are some tools. Those are ones I use that I like, and I think they're pretty effective. Yeah, I like that idea. I, I especially like the kind of conflicting uh, traits that then work together. I think it would also be interesting, like if you had like a super um, cheeky or like humorous character, like uh, if it was an important character, kind of asking themselves, like, is there any situations that would make them be serious? You know, if you had a happy character, would there be any situations that would make them feel despair or down their luck, kind of thing? You know, the contrast might be kind of interesting to play around with. Definitely. And I think that's something, you know, if you are looking at the writing side of stories, then a lot of the time you do think, well, how can we make this character crack? You know, what is the turning point going to be for this character? And I don't know, It's you might think of like writing the plot as like a sort of, it just flows like a river. You just start at the beginning, you get to the end and you're like, oh, that's it. We finished the story now. When really it's like, Right, there's our destination. I think our start point's over here, but we might move it around to here. And then I was like, I want this one moment that I think is amazing. The part where, you know, I don't want to do any spoilers, but like in Jaina with World of Warcraft, where she absolutely cracks. She's meant to be the epitome of goodness and justice and whatever. And then she actually turns over to despair. Maybe the writers are like, I want to explore that moment. And then they have to think, okay, right, well, that's that moment. This is our start point. We need to navigate to that moment, and then we need to navigate to the ending. It's it's not as sort of natural a process as people might think it is. So I think definitely with, like, story building and, like, 
um, not sure really what you call it, like building character moments and character development. That is something that people definitely set out to do. They think, all right, I want this one scene, or I want to test this behavior in this environment. What happens when we take this happy person and we put them in a sad place, etc.? Um, and that's part of like making interesting stories as well. But probably not so much about the character. It's more about like the story or the narrative. Then I think we've uh, we've covered it slightly. Um, how many? NPCs do you think are too many NPCs? Is there like a certain balance? Do you kind of build it up in layers? So you have your kind of like most important NPCs as a fewer group and then as you go down you kind of add more people? I think like Dan was saying earlier you don't really front load or throw all of them right at the beginning Um, Hmm. because even if you have more than you know even if you have like two or three it's going to feel like too much right at the beginning. I'm more of the idea you know you have less NPCs but have them evolve with you, you know, so you can meet them at different stages in the game, but you build a deeper bond and relationship with them as you go along. Um, And that helps with player motivation, like encouraging them to continue playing the game and finish their story, you know, because we always want that satisfaction of getting an answer right at the end of some closure. Um, So I think that's a great way to keep it exciting and quite fun. And I was also listening to a GDC talk. This is the last GDC talk I'll be referencing today because um, they seem to be giving a lot of references. Um, but it was by a writer and a designer called CJ Kirshner. Um, and he was talking about how you should provide players with really complex experiences. So he was saying you can actually do this through giving the NPCs some agency as well in the story. <coughs> uh, so this can add to your world as a player as well. So this can be putting them in situations with you where you kind of acknowledge their humanity uh, and the consequences of their actions, but also the consequences of your actions on them. Just because you get some depth to the NPC, but also it helps build really good levels of empathy with them as well. Right, And it becomes this whole reinforcing cycle of if if I build this deep bond with them, I want to find out more about them. But also, this might add to my journey as well as I go along. Um, and I do think, of course, you need to strike a balance with this because, of course, how many NPCs can you do this with? But I mean, this is um, a good example for like a companion or a pet or someone you're meant to help in your story as well. Yeah, so kind of like emphasizing the development based on like how long the contact is between you and them. Should be like how much attention you pay to the Yeah, character. or at least quality of contact if not quantity yeah or even like limiting your npcs to just like okay how much time do you need to get sick of someone yeah exactly (laughs) we'll take our game time and divide that by (laughs) that time and that's how many npcs we'll put in kind of thing yeah it's like dan was saying you know you don't want to listen to someone droning on and giving you a lecture for ages there's always different ways you can have an npc contribute to the story and have their own journey rather than just having lots of NPCs unless they add some purpose to your story, right? Yeah. Because regardless of NPC development, any element you put in a game, it's there for a purpose. Um, And NPCs are no different. Yeah, I mean, my rule is function, again. If it doesn't have a function, why is your NPC there? Does it tell you something about the story? Does it tell you something about the characters or the villains? Does it establish relationships that are actually interesting and important to the main character? Because you don't want tons of subplots either. 
because they're just very difficult to remember the details of. Someone might be playing a game over multiple play sessions, and if this you know little child is talking about something that happened at school with characters you've never heard of and never will meet, you're like, do I am I supposed to know these characters? Do I know them? Also, who the hell are you, and why do I care? If it's just some random kid on the street, um, so yeah, I think you've got to sort of be wise with how many you choose to have, and you know you might have a whole an an, an entire island filled with. Uh, NPCs that have all got one line or you could cut it down by five and give them all five lines so they've all got more to say and they're more interesting and then you've also cut down how much assets you're actually going to need for that as well because it's you know it's one thing to think of oh it's great we'll have all these NPCs and that'll all be great but realistically someone's going to make these NPCs someone's going to animate these NPCs someone's probably going to voice these NPCs especially if we're sort of talking like a triple A project um and it's just more work for potentially not really more gain, you mm. know. If that if that same dialogue can be delivered by the same character, then why have it there, really? Yeah, I think so. Why the way I like to think of it, it this is more for open world games, but I think it's a for experiment that applies to anywhere. Um, let's say your character walks into a town. How many minimum people are required to make that town function? And that might be a question that's answered by like, well, why does the town exist? You know, maybe there's a source of like magical stones around the town and they're digging up. So maybe the town's just comprised of the people mining the stones. Maybe the guy who's running the operation. Maybe a few mages. And I think from there you kind of have to pick, okay, well, who are the main players? And that might depend on your story. That might depend on who you want the player to interact with. And then kind of thinking about what would make the player interact with those people? Maybe it's their, their outfits stand out, maybe it's their personality stands out, maybe it's their location in the town. You know, maybe, I think every town, especially in games, has like a prime real estate area where the player visits more. Maybe it's the general store or like the, the entrance to the town, or maybe it's around the warp point, whatever kind of works. So kind of thinking about starting from the minimum amount of people required to create the setting that you want and then kind of figuring out who is the who are the most important people in that setting and that might be related to your story or it might just be related to like what you think would be the most interesting people to talk to so i think yeah trying to keep it minimalistic but at the same time weaving it into the lore of the world is good you know if you get to a um if you get to this town where they're mining these magical gems and there's a blacksmith and there's a farmer and there's a carpenter and there's a fletcher and there's a... And I mean, that might be great for, you know, players who are... You just, you just want to have everything in that town, but maybe instead you can just cut that down to... Maybe there's one person in the town who just does all the odd jobs and maybe they don't do it as well as, like, the masters up in... Falkreath or Whiterun or whatever else your town, you know, maybe the major towns kind of thing, but maybe they do everything and you don't have to write like 20 characters to fill all the roles that the players might need. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, the general storytelling tactic of the different ways you create conflict, right? Uh, Whether that be, you know, like actual fighting or arguing or just conflict in player choice. Um, And maybe just the one or two NPCs is enough. Sometimes you might need a whole town against someone um, it's really very much dependent on what story you want to tell 
Um, and like the details you were saying, you've got to take all of them into account. Of course, none of this applies if your game is about killing a hundred stick figures or an infant number, because it, it doesn't really matter. But I think when this storytelling involves, you've got to think of these nuances. Yeah, and I think... again, it's down to function, isn't it? You know, yeah. if you need a hundred characters, you need a hundred characters, and that's fine. But think of function first. Yeah, and, and definitely. The... If, you, if there is a certain expectation, you don't want a person to walk into a town. There's like uh, like a city and there's 10 people living in the city. Mm. But at the same time, you don't want them to walk into the city and see a bunch of NPCs who all look very similar. They're wearing like the dress of the land kind of thing. Yeah, I think Spider-Man does it really nice, the new Spider-Man game. Because I think it's based in New York City, is that right? Um, you have so many NPC, NPCs. Um, which you can interact with, you know, just by waving. Um, but there was an interesting one with a woman in a hijab, um, and you can't actually hug her like you would other characters. And that was really interesting because that took into account like her religious and cultural background. Um, so that's a really interesting way to show it, right? Where it's like you don't even have to directly interact with a character to learn about them, but you can still get a diverse range of NPCs. Um, and that was really nice because it was very like culturally relevant in the sense that New York is pretty diverse as well. Um, do you think it's ever justified to have no NPCs in a game? Depends on the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you're kind of trapping yourself into relying on the environment far more. I think it's it's. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking, like, when you do brain training games, or as they're called, or whatever, you know, it's just you doing these little tests, or whatever. Um, NPCs aren't an essential component to your game. Maybe that's controversial to say. But, you know, technically an NPC could be the chatbot, or whatever, but that's a different thing. Then. Yeah, I mean, if you look at brain training... Is brain training the one you said? Yeah. I know I've played a Wii game which has like a little guide who leads you through is it a brain is it like a floating brain whatever it is there's some sort of like mascot character that guides you through the menus so even on a game as simple as well you know as devoid of characters as like brain training um there are still there's still room to have a couple of npcs maybe just guiding you through the menus which is crazy to think about really but Again, it can add a lot of character. I know Nintendo is renowned for its charm. So to have some little charming character leading you through the hallways is actually quite a big part of the experience. So even in games where it's not really considered necessary, you know, it's not an RPG, it's just some simple, I don't even know if you'd call it a puzzle game. Like it is, you know, it is brain training, whatever you would call that, an education game. But, um, even in a game where it looks like you wouldn't need to have NPCs, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't have any NPCs. You can still maybe elevate the game somewhat by adding some NPCs to the game. Yeah, because it's right, you know, they're not really there for like your functional play, they're more like an add-on social thing. You know, where they make it more fun or they help you ease into a bit because of like familiarity if it's a character you recognize hmm. um, and generally make it more enjoyable rather than seeing a bunch of text to go through the tutorial. Yeah, it's kind of like a communication tool from the designer to the player. 
more of a direct link. I think there's definitely examples of games that kind of lack these NPCs. I mean, even like Minecraft, you can play without mobs. Um, it's just that the environment has to kind of pick up in the communication. Um, so, how sophisticated does a AI need to be? Is there any kind of ways of thinking about making AIs more complicated, or are we kind of okay with our current level of sophistication? I think it's my turn to reference a, a GDC talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched one by Kimberly Fall um, that was completely about this topic, you know, AI. She is um, she has a PhD in computer science, and she does a lot on AI and machine learning. Um, and the most interesting thing that I took away from that talk was that perception is everything. Hmm. So if players think the AI is smart, that's more important than your AI actually being smart. Um, she talked about the AI she was working on. She was making like enemies for some, I think it was like a top-down shooter game. And she wanted, she wanted to sort of work on them to make them look more like, or play more like humans. And <laughs> it's quite funny. She talked about all the comments she received um, about the AI, and she said that sometimes when they pushed out updates, people would comment saying, oh, wow, nice AI update. And they hadn't changed anything about the AI <laughs> from one uh, version to the next. But the, you know, it was perceived that it was changed somehow, which I think just shows you how different your experience can be with AI, just even even among the same person in the same game, just across two different play sessions. Another thing she talked about a lot was that humans are really good at finding patterns, and they can detect repetition in extremely quickly. So if you're trying to make your character have, you know, maybe a varied number of lines, for example, if you have a companion character who you're fighting with, and they say, ouch, you know, they say, ouch, ouch you're like oh my god shut up <laughs> and suddenly you begin to think of it as this isn't even a character anymore it's just a coded machine that is just saying ow every time it receives damage like it kind of takes the player out of that experience and it makes them say okay this is just ai this isn't really very convincing anymore um so you know you've got to think about how much repetition you're going to give your AI, especially if it's sort of dialogue. You know, if they say the same line, it's just some sort of incidental dialogue, two or three times, you're like, hold on, you literally said that exact same line about five minutes ago. It's just, it's just not realistic, and it kind of breaks immersion. So that's something to think about, how many, you know, how many times are you going to allow something to repeat? Um, the final point that... I wanted to talk about on that talk was that she she mentioned that humans can really overestimate AI as well. So sometimes AI is assumed to be way, way smarter than it actually is. And this comes down to perception again, you know? If you build the AI to do what you need it to do, say an enemy that maybe backs off when it gets to low health, or maybe it hides around corners, or maybe it tries to hide outside of the player's vision, you know, if you have some sort of third-person action game where they always try to approach you from the back, you know, maybe maybe the players think, oh, my God, they're so sneaky, when really all you've coded them to do is only attack from one direction. Um, 
and again it's it's about perception and sometimes people will really like attribute particular behaviors to ai that they've seen even though they completely don't exist at all there was a few points that she brought up where it's like well nope we didn't code that we didn't code that we didn't code that but we had comments saying that it was all great someone even mentioned the online multiplayer was amazing and he doesn't have online multiplayer <laughs> so he was just playing against computers but he thought they were all human characters so uh, that was like what I got from the, the talks that um, Kimberly did. I thought there were really good points about AI. Obviously, this isn't really particularly relevant to NPCs, but I think some parts are. You know, the repetition, making sure that patterns aren't too obvious, um, that you know, the, the, the characters seem alive and real. Um, those are the things that I think would apply to an NPC situation. Yeah, I think that, you know, lack of repetition is a good feature to have. Um, the best examples I remember are, I guess, in horror games, or at least in moments where you need to be pretty scary. Um, so I'm going to mention Alien again, because I mentioned that in pretty much every episode. But the Alien in Alien Isolation, I was reading up, you know, it has been designed to be quite unpredictable. Um, like, so the alien will always be in some close vicinity to you, which helps build tension. But when they actually, like, jump down and be close, can be random. You know, even if you've got the little monitor thing to track where it is, um, that can build a lot of tension for you. Um, and it also builds a lot of, I guess, believability, right? Because that's one of the features of the monster, where it's kind of meant to find or sniff out humans pretty easily. Um, and if that keeps happening to you in the game, that makes sense in the context of the game. Whereas in another game, that might be pretty annoying. I think so anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on board of what both of you are saying. Kind of the impression that you're giving the, the player is the most important thing. Um, the best example I always find is zombies in games. Because sometimes the best zombies are the zombies that literally their pathfinding is look towards the player and keep moving forwards. Because sometimes you'll have zombies that if they try and pathfind, A, all of them will run in the same direction because all of them are looking for the fastest path to you, which is oftentimes the same route. And B, sometimes like you'll jump onto a car that they can't Pathfind on, so they'll try and find a route around, and they'll run off. Like, or, or maybe they you jump up onto a second level, and all the zombies are suddenly like, "Oh, well, let's go like 50 meters in that direction, where there's a route that takes us back around to the thing." So you'll be climbing up this ladder, escaping, and you look behind you, and you'll see all these zombies have suddenly run off somewhere into the distance. So I think that the impressions of a AI determines how sophisticated, to some degree, you should make it. Like, if you had a human that just ran blankly at you, you'd be a bit confused. But if you had a zombie or like some kind of alien creature, um, you might attribute different properties to it and different expectations about how it should act. Um, I think Alien Isolations one was pretty good because it kind of locked uh, behaviors that the alien could do, like checking under tables, things like that, under kind of uh, gateways and as you do certain actions, it might unlock those gateways, or if you progress through the game. 
it also unlocked them. So you kind of felt like the AI was learning, but in essence, all it was doing was being allowed to use more of its pre-programmed functionality. So I think definitely taking the minimum aspect to it and thinking about like what do players expect these NPCs to act in this situation, rather than trying to make the smartest tool in, in every scenario. Well, talking about smartness, I don't know, this is more of a question of this. Um, but like, because, you know, there is more and more research going on in emotional intelligence of like AI and stuff, you know, can we see that being applicable to like VR games? I guess, like, how would you apply it to those contexts, I guess? Because, you know, would you, how much would you want to scare the player or provide them a thrill, for example, if you've got a super smart AI or whatever, the right terminology is? Yeah, and I guess it's your intended message to some degree. Like, if your intended message is this person understands your actions and can act accordingly then maybe the way you design your AI should be like the alien isolation one with how can we react to the player's actions and whilst still making the behavior seem predictably unpredictable. Like you know they're hunting but you don't always know what they're capable of or their next decision. How can you introduce factors for like backtracking, things like that. I know that there's a lot more to that talk with the alien isolation AI because there's a lot more factors you have to take into account to break up the repetition of behavior um, yeah no, i think they're all relevant and you know like you said waiting can build up a lot of suspense and it could be anything as simple as a random time it's just a random time on how often, like how long it takes until the next attack comes but maybe the player opens a door and then the attack comes and they're like oh no it's when i open doors and then they open the door and it doesn't come down and they're like Maybe it's not opening doors. Maybe it's just noise in general. Maybe it's shooting. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, I don't know. I don't know the game particularly well myself. But there are all these sorts of triggers that could run it, and the player is assigning all this behavior to specific triggers. When really, it's just and it's something as simple as a random timer. So, and I think that's really what it's referring to. And it doesn't matter that it's just on a random timer. Because the player's under so much suspense and they're trying to attribute this behavior to something tangible that they will find patterns where there are no patterns. Um, and, you know, when they decide, ah, oh, it must be when you open a door and then they get attacked when they're nowhere near a door, they're like, oh my God, what was that? And it sort of plays with their expectations and catches them off guard as well. So, you know, our pattern recognition is not perfect either. So I think it's kind of, it's about playing off that. Yeah, I think what we're coming down to is to not over-engineer things, to kind of like to break down different types of NPCs and keep engineering it until you've kind of met the need of uh, the impression that you're trying to give the player of the NPC's behavior. Exactly, that was like the major point of the talk. It was called less is more. Hmm. So focus less on building super sophisticated, smart in impenetrable AI and focus more on providing an experience that makes the player feel like the AI actually is smart. Cool. Um, I think we're going to wrap up there. Uh, let us know on Twitter if you have any uh, thoughts on the topic yourself. We're at Level Edit. Uh, leave us a rating on iTunes. And thank you for listening in. If you want to find any references to the things we've talked about this week, uh, we'll leave them down in the description down below. Bye.